Welcome to the Cardboard Herald Reviews, where we give you audio versions of our game reviews, then go behind the scenes of our creative process. Lagranha, No Siesta, a game of pen and paper pig allocation. Designed by Andreas Ode Odendal, art by Harold Leisky, published by Stronghold Games 2016, 1-4 players, 30-45 to 45 minutes, review by Jack Eddy. Isn't it great when a creator just gets the strengths of their medium? I tend to notice it most in music or visual art, like comics and movies, but occasionally a board game nails exactly what I want out of a specific experience. Lagranha No Siesta, a 40-minute dicey distillation of 2014's Lagranha, is perfect for grabbing lunch at your local coffee house. And you'll need that coffee, too, because as the name implies, you'll have to earn your right to siesta in this simple yet delightfully strategic game. El Juego Gameplay Most of the action in No Siesta happens on a player's farm and the siesta track. Farms are basically beautiful Scantron sheets that players mark up as they spend resources to complete various actions. Yes, your personal pan tableau is a disposable piece of paper that you write on, and no, this is not a problem. Yes, I'll explain why later. The siesta track, printed on a lovely chipboard, I might add, establishes the clock of the game. As players move along the track, they earn points, unlock more player tokens, and ultimately trigger the end of the game. Rounds consist of resource production, spending said resources, resolving any triggered effects, and passing the first player pig token. Resource production starts with the first player pig man rolling awesome chunky wooden dice, followed by each player selecting one die to keep. The remaining dice are rolled again, and once more players take one. At this point, the final die is rolled one last time, and everyone produces resources based on their two dice and the one remaining that was just rolled. The rest of the turn consists of players simultaneously spending resources by checking boxes on their farm and resolving any actions that were fully completed this round. There are six different areas on your board, each corresponding to a distinct type of task. Though they all reward you with points in one form or another, they each have their own costs and effects that dictate why you'd pursue some over the others. Roofs give one-time effects, carts allow you to claim special endgame bonus points, helpers, well, they help your farm run more efficiently, and long-distance trade rewards, big points, and a commodity, wild resource. Lastly, your stable and warehouse act as a sort of consolation prize, giving you points for sets of resources that you dumped here because you, they had no other place to go. This usually happens because your friends Jeff and Tina decided to leave you the useless garbage donkeys at the end of the round. Here lies the real tension in No Siesta. Though you can take each action several times, once each action is filled out, it can't be completed again. You are forced to make strategic choices about where you put your resources and when. Some actions require resources to be spent in a specific order, others must be paid for all at once, and since unspent resources don't stick around from turn to turn, with the exception of one commodity, 
There are plenty of critical decision points where you will choose to forego certain aspects of your farm in favor of others. Fortunately, it almost always feels like I have a handful of good options on how to spend my wares, and rarely do I feel like luck was the absolute make-or-break factor in the game. Los Componentes Components there are going to be some people who scowl and discuss in horror over the limited, single-use farms. While I really appreciate top-notch, enduring components that I can someday pass on to my little gamer grandbabies, I totally get why Stronghold went in this direction and it's completely fine. Not only do you get a ton of double-sided farms in the box, if you play so much that you risk running out, just laminate the last four sheets or buy yourself another copy of the game. It's fairly cheap, and you obviously loved it enough to play it 50-plus times. Additionally, by making the farms disposable, it allows for a much less fiddly and more elegant solution to managing resources and paying costs that suit the format really well. Speaking of the format, most of the components feel perfect for a fast-playing, compact game. I can't emphasize enough how good the larger wooden dice feel. The singular pig token is among my favorite first-player markers, and while the art and iconography aren't particularly memorable, the game is still visually clean, clear, and tonally beautiful. I adore the green and yellow color scheme. The only components I actually dislike are the roof tiles, which are about one inch by a half inch in size. I find that my gigantic meat paws often accidentally flip one over. While this can be somewhat frustrating, it hasn't ever interrupted a game, and I can accept it as a necessary evil to maintain the overall very appealing form factor. Caminos alternativos and uno es el numero más solitario. Variants and Solo Play There are a few variants described in No Siesta's surprisingly dense rulebook, but the two worth mentioning are the Expert Helpers and Solo Play. Unlike in the normal game where each player has their own pool of the same six different helpers to choose from, the expert helpers build a sort of market that players can pick from as they play. I think this is crucial to the game, especially after four or five plays, as it begins to shift what options are available, encouraging players to plan different strategies instead of relying on what has worked for them in the past. The solo game, on the other hand, is clever and well thought out, but I find it's still a bit more work than it's worth. What is normally a fast, tension-filled game about eagerly anticipating what each new turn will bring, it's instead a methodical calculation to maximize points before time runs out. The dice rolling in No Siesta feels inherently social as players stare with greedy anticipation as the dice are thrown. The thrill of getting exactly what you wanted and taking the one and only pig that everyone wanted is gone. I'm not saying the solo game is bad or poorly designed, but unlike games like Scythe or Terraforming Mars that create a solo experience that emulates the feel of the multiplayer game, No Siesta becomes a different and somewhat less exuberant beast altogether. La Sensation, How It Feels. Overall, I really like La Granja No Siesta. It is one of the more compelling small box games that I've played, and I think that is in large part made possible because of the sheets of paper. Too often these games are either strategically limited because you don't want to overload a small box with too many rules and thereby too many components, or you do have a more complex game that has no elegant solution making a cluttered mess. No Siesta avoids these trappings and manages to be one of the more compelling games that can easily sit one to four players and deliver a streamlined yet complex experience in about 40 minutes. It's snappy, intuitive, and above all fun. 
That said, there are still some limitations on the format. After several games, I've noticed that a couple of the helpers almost always get picked first, and there tends to be an optimum placement of early game resources. While strategies do diverge after a few turns and the expert helpers go a long way to change what options are available each game, I would have liked to see maybe one or two more mechanisms to further change up your options from one game to the next. This is one area where I think No Siesta has yet to live up to its predecessor, as one of Lagranha's strengths was the incredible variety of strategic options at your disposal. Who knows, maybe someday No Siesta will have an expansion that incorporates the awesome card system of Lagranha, but that's another review. See Siesta, final thoughts. Overall, No Siesta's success is as much about what it doesn't do as what it does. It perfectly straddles the line of accessibility and complexity, making for one of the most strategically satisfying small box games I've played. Sure, some added variability may be welcome in the future, but I would much rather a Spartan distillation of a more complex experience than a sad, bloated attempt at packing too big of a game into a small package. No Siesta is a game that I am certain I will keep in my collection and will eagerly break out again and again, especially when accompanied by a 16-ounce Americano with an extra shot with room for cream and whipped cream, and I'll need it too, because in the world of Langranha, there is no time for siestas. Review copy of Langranha No Siesta provided by Stronghold Games. I thought I was so clever by having that coffee list at the end, because that is what I order. Uh, Americano, 16-ounce, extra shot, room for cream, and whipped cream, and a customer cup, because I typically have my own cup when I go to the coffee shop, which is too often. I don't know what it's like in other states, but there are a lot of independent coffee shops here in Southeast Alaska, and I am hitting them up all the time. I think it's one of those things like Alaska has the most coffee shops per capita, kind of like we eat the most ice cream per capita. I don't know. Anyway, No Siesta is a really cool game. I still play it. I still hit it up at the same coffee shop that I featured prominently in said review. And this is about a year afterwards. Yeah, just right about a year afterwards. Cause I got it at Dice Tower Con last year, and we're coming up on July here. We're actually in June as of recording this. And July was when Dice Tower Con was last year. And uh, that little line at the end, review copy provided by Stronghold Games, this was the first review copy I received of anything for um, the Cardboard Herald. It was kind of cool. Stephen Bonacore gave me a copy at uh, Dice Tower Con and said that, you know, if I'd like to do a review, then that would be cool. And I had just done an interview with him for the podcast and it seemed like a, a good fit. And I proceeded to really, really enjoy the game. And I don't know, that's one of those things that I had to start thinking about. How do I maintain journalistic integrity? Not that I'm a journalist, but I am a reviewer and I want to be responsible and consistent with my audience that this is what you can expect, that I give critical feedback and what is my voice? What is the the reason that I'm doing this and how do I preserve the the integrity of what I'm doing, I guess, is, is the best way of putting it. And so I guess I try to 
imagine that every review copy is going to be the last review copy that I receive, and that's okay. I don't think about future relationships. I don't think about future interviews. I think about what is it that I need to communicate about this game and then trust that companies are going to be fine with it one way or another. I think that my personal style is something that I try to find the inherent value in everything. Like I, I'm not looking at strictly purchasing decisions. That's never been what I did before I received a review copy. I did over a year of reviews where I want to like games because I I inherently want to like games. I want to have fun. I want to have good experiences. And I'll say, honestly, when I don't, or when something's tedious, or when something really didn't deliver, but I I want to start conversations about things that I like or want to like, or I wonder why I don't like. And I don't want to just give hot takes or digs or just give everyone a pro and con list. That, that's never been my thing. And I, I feel that's disingenuous to my own experience. So anyway, the, the getting the review copy thing is kind of spurring all sorts of thoughts at young Jack Eddie's mind here a year ago. And since then, I've had a lot of considerations to make. I've reviewed games that are pre-production copies that someone wants to pay me to do a review of their game, which thankfully I haven't been in that position yet where I've accepted money uh, to do a review. Um, I, I know I have some offers to do some previews for Kickstarter. I, I haven't agreed to do that yet, but uh, anytime that anything seems like it needs to be labeled different or given a disclaimer. I, I try to be as transparent as can be about that. I don't know. I'd love to get your feedback as the audience listening to this. What do you expect out of a reviewer? What is it that you like about the Cardboard Herald that you're listening to this right now and you want to see more of in the future? What do you want us to change? I don't know. I, I Just feedback in general. These are all things I'm still thinking about a year after this was written. Now, additional thoughts about the game. Uh, I will say that the expert mode is something that I am totally all about. Uh, I was thinking that as I read this review, I do still like the the paper, the, the roll and write sort of gameplay. I still think it's the best one of those out there. I ended up reviewing... Uh, I don't even remember what it's called at this point. Uh, it's a Gray Fox Games roll and write game. Uh, that was all right. Um, it, you got vegetables and that kind of stuff, but I definitely found this to be the superior game. But I, I don't know. Like I like components where I get to move things and position things and stack things, and there's something a little bit less satisfying about filling in a scantron sheet a good solution not an ideal solution but a good solution a compromise that i'm okay with and still enjoy the game do i like it more than the granha itself no not really but i'm not going to be able to fit the granha into a lunch break so this again it's a good compromise but the there are things that i wish 
were different in a perfect world where games could be made to fill all the needs of everything um you could manage something different but it 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 is a good game that i still consistently play i break out off the shelf now and then and i i really dig it now other than that as far as writing um Probably the most striking thing to me about the review is I intentionally put a huge amount of alliteration into this review, and I also put a huge amount of typos into this review. I need to go back and clean up some of that stuff. I I think that I've grown a little bit more professional than some of the typos that were featured here, especially for my first review copy of a game, but... You know, it was a younger, more innocent time uh, where I wasn't so scrutinous of everything that I was doing. And I think the last thing that's kind of interesting is that I got my wife's help on some of the Spanish here. She speaks really fluent Spanish. She's incredible. Uh, But she speaks Spanish with a Mexican dialect. And... No Siesta is, of course, based off of uh, an area in Spain. I believe it's Spain. I know it's all Spanish, but uh, somewhere in Europe, that's a Spanish-speaking country, but I believe it's Spain. Um, And so maybe some of the language that I used uh, is not accurate to no siesta itself but maybe it's all just weird cultural appropriation stuff because i don't speak spanish period and that's why you could hear me struggling with those titles in audio form but i i managed and the the parentheses i i don't know like i i gave an english summary of what each header was so you know like i i had the the spanish language and then i had the feeling or alternative modes of play and solo play or or something like that and i feel like that was kind of a cop-out like i i should have just gone with the spanish itself which i think i originally did and if i'm being honest i think luke mensch who has done so many awesome reviews for our site he had just started doing stuff for us and i gave him a crack at critiquing me and i think it's probably because i felt bad that i was like really ripping apart some of the stuff that he was submitting to me as far as like hey you know what do you think about this maybe you should change this this seems a little bit long like i i i was really giving a lot of critical feedback which i think is important um but i've felt bad about my my own loftiness in not having any editorial overview of my work and so i had luke go ahead and reciprocate with this one and some of the feedback that he gave was incredible and perfect and exactly what i needed though he did if i recall correctly suggest i should have english for the subtitles and if i can't compromise uh, or if I am unwilling to do English, then at least have English after the Spanish, which I did. And I feel like it's a cop-out. It's not authentic. It's not me. It's not Ernest. It's not Jack as I originally wanted. Or maybe I'm just being pig-headed and just wanting to tease um, Luke right now. 
I don't know. He's probably right. I should have just had it in English, but it's still more fun when it's not. And I'm just trying to be playful and flavorful and fun. And you know what? If you are listening to this podcast, you kind of know what you're getting with Jack at this point. And I think that if you have subscribed, then you kind of dig it when I get most playful and fun. I don't know. Anyway, those are my additional thoughts on Lagranha No Siesta. I hope you enjoyed the review and you enjoyed this episode of TCBH Reviews. So I'll sign off here. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Cardboard Herald. As always, everything we do is ad-free and audience-supported. If you'd like to help keep it that way, find the Patreon link at the top of our webpage, CardboardHerald.com. We have several levels of support with various rewards. If you enjoyed the show, we do a whole bunch of other stuff, including reviews, interviews, and recommendations across writing, podcasts, and video. You can find that on our YouTube channel or by visiting any of our social media or our website. So with that out of the way, thank you again for listening to the Cardboard Herald. Thank you.